when you're in that stage, you're kind of forced to build a product that people will pay for. And people tend to pay for things that have an impact in their lives. I think they're, they're it's doing them a disservice, to be honest. So when we started this, we said, okay, we want to build these meaningful companies. We're not going to do anything that's bad for the world. And we don't necessarily need to bet the farm on each one. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host on the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that we are now on YouTube, where we are exploring the latest news and seeing how everything that's going on in the world affects the employee experience. Click on the link in the show notes or just search Leading People First on YouTube to subscribe and watch. As we continually see venture capital and startups sprout up and grow rapidly, I wanted to know if there are any people first leaders who are influencing these growing companies that may be the next big thing that transforms our society. I had a chance to talk with Mark McNally, one of the original innovators in the e-commerce space and founder of Nobody Studios, a venture studio aimed to create meaningful organizations with a people first mentality. So let's start this up and dive on in. I'm very pleased to be welcoming Mark McNally to the Leading People First podcast. And I can't describe him better than Shabab Gruberg, who shared with me that Mark's leadership transformed how I examine problems and execute a solution. His insight and inquisitiveness helped me ask the right questions and become a visionary CTO versus being incremental. Thank you, Mark, for always poking holes in ideas and making them better. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. I went to, I went to PayPal of Shabab for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought it was a, I thought it was a great testament to the work that you're doing uh, because you are truly revolutionizing or working to revolutionize how organizations do lead people first. And before we jump into that, I would love to know what has inspired you so far this year, because you are on a huge growth path with your, with your work. So what has been inspirational to you this year? Um, gosh, Chris, first of all, thank you for your work. Uh, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing and where all the, the themes that are being discussed is exactly where I think the innovators need to be, you know, investing more energy. So thank you. Um, I guess, you know, on my side, you know, it's a continuation of our journey, you know, on a super high level. Um, you know, I've been a startup serial entrepreneur my whole life and um, got to a point in my life and career with, you know, 12 year old kids and been married 15 years and was kind of wrestling with what do the rest of my days need to look like. And when we got on this journey with Nobody Studios, you know, being, um, you know, pretty aggressive what's the future of companies how do you build these the right way how do you build them more aggressively how do you build them more frugally we went down this path of you know incubation combined with venture capital we really wanted to make sure we challenge every angle and every aspect of what it looked like in the past and i've been you know in the startup community for 25 years so i know how we've done it right um but you know i started to socialize that with my networks and people I really trust and respect. And we came up with the kind of a thesis and some core principles. And my answer to you is what's inspired me the most is we really just decided that those felt really core and genuine to us. And we were just going to tell that story. And my inspiration has been the response to that, I guess, as I've watched people tell me their stories and why it's time to matter, why it has to matter, you know, getting up in the morning again, you know, I think 2020 was a heavy year for a lot of folks, but, I tend to be a, there's a bright side in things kind of guy. 
And I do believe that, you know, it's the first time probably in 60, 70 years, we've all collectively based our mortality worldwide, right? In any way. Yeah. And I think it's natural to come out of that to say, okay, crap, you know, what I do for a living better matter. You know, it can no longer be about, you know, paying the paycheck, you know, paying the bills and, you know, left foot, right foot. I think people want to know what they're doing matters, that they can have an impact, that they're being respected, that they can, you know, they can manage the work-life balance, which I think leading into COVID was a challenge and probably the silver lining of COVID was we no longer have to apologize for personal life invading the business life. It's actually the opposite. It's really clear that the business life had to invade the personal life. So anyway, I've been inspired by people just embracing their truth, embracing the realities and saying, yeah, I'm talented. I'm not perfect. You know, I'm going to be raw. I'm going to be genuine. And I want to find an environment that, that facilitates that. I love that. Before we get into your work, I would love to know, what does it mean to you to lead people first? You know, Chris, I've probably challenged just the, the premise of the question, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I grew up, you know, I grew up traditionally, you know, you read the Jack Welch books in the 1980s, you know, business management books and stuff. And I went into military and so I had traditional military training um, within the army. I ended up going to special operations and they, they train you very differently. They train you to think um, it's not really about leading top down. It's about a team of peers and, you know, in a you know, dark, I guess, way, they, they make you realize that in any one engagement, half of you might not be around. So you have to be able to do each other's jobs. And I think that inc- that creates a, an environment where it really isn't top down. So it's not so much in my mind about leading people first. I think it's about creating an environment of leadership that allows a people first culture to thrive. So that's certainly the way we're thinking about this. I love that. Absolutely. That cross-functionality is huge. And it's almost like you're democratizing leadership, right? You're spreading it out and allowing everyone to kind of rise up to take that leadership role. Yeah, you know, it is. Um, and it's also, it's about uh, letting the best ideas come to fruition, right? Um, you know, you have to create a culture, especially in today, you know, I'm a huge believer in innovation and thinking out of the box and seeing the things that don't exist yet. I think that's the future of company creation. And so if that's really where I want to play. I need to make sure that we are attracting people, but also not, you know, bringing out the best of those people and not creating an environment that stifles those people. So it's not necessarily democracy in terms of, Hey, you know, the most votes win, but it certainly is a, the best ideas win. Right. Yeah. So you shared a little bit about how you grew up, went into the military, you're a serial entrepreneur. Can you share some of the biggest life lessons that really helped synthesize this idea of leadership for you in, in your life? Yeah, sure. You know, I think, um, first of all, my, my 14 startups are a pretty equal portfolio of, of wild successes, horrible failures and bankruptcies and somewhere in between. Um, so that's, that's full of lessons we don't have time for, but, um, I guess, Chris, I had to tell you some of the big ones. Uh, the first one I was involved in went in public. So being a part of a company and being an employee eight of a company that grew to 800 and went public and, you know, we got to a multi-billion dollar market cap in the late nineties. And so pretty heady days, you know, and I was a senior executive of that team. So you get to see every aspect, the good and the bad of, of a wealth creation event like that. And also just the acceleration and the speed of growth, right? Um, I also was part of the executive team when the market corrected itself a few years ago or after, 
and we ended up descaling and had to get it down to a right size organization and you know looking at people in the eyes you'd hired just a few years earlier and <laughs> letting them go and trying to make sense of that business taught me a lot as well so you know i think um learning a lot about people when you know the upside and the downside the good times and the bads when money's good when money's bad you learn a lot about people um which i think i've carried throughout my career um i also think in that particular journey when things were phenomenal there was a real distinct culture of just work your rear off do what it took you know you had each other's back you could talk openly and straight there wasn't a lot of politics you know the people who were celebrated it was merit-based you know there's just some certain things that kind of you know kind of come out of that kind of environment of a startup and i think when we lost our way i do think that culture got you know put under the table and it became more about I don't know, the shiny object being the new resume or the person that came from a great company. And, and as you start doing that, you start to dilute your culture. And I think we lost sight of maintaining that culture. I think you can bring fantastic talent from around the world and maintain a culture. But if you don't realize that culture is your glue, then new blood is always going to you know, dilute it. It's always going to change that culture. So for me, it just really solidified that, especially on this current go around, um, culture being not just something you put on the wall, you know, here's our statement. And it's not something you give somebody when they sign up on day one. It's something you have to live and breathe and has to be something that everybody would repeat back, you know, the same way, maybe in their own words, but the core values would be something that everybody feels by being a part of your organization. It can't be something that's trivial. I love that. Especially when, when it's this like performative culture, right? Where you're just like, yeah, like this is what it is, but no one actually believes it or no one actually behaves in those manners. It's, it's really tough. And you get to interact with a lot of different organizations and companies, a lot of startups with Nobody Studios. Can you share with those who are listening what Nobody Studios is, how it came to formation, and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, sure. Um, again, not respecting time here. So going through my startup journey, I actually personally had a health scare in 2019 um, that I came out healthy and strong, but you know, there was a, a year there was pretty was scary for me. Um, and coming out of that, you know, was, was great. You know, for me, I was annoying as hell to people in 2020 because 2019 was my 2020, you know, <laughs> I had already stared it down I came out healthy and I was dancing through 2020, just fired up and motivated and excited and saying, Hey, the world, life is great. People are like, what do you mean? The world's coming to an end. Um, so, you know, I think naturally you go through a soul searching. So I did that maybe collectively a year before the rest of the world, um, and I really started with a blank canvas and said, hey, you know, if, if I'm supposed to be a farmer in Africa, you know, that's where I'd be doing this call from right now, right? Um, but I was able to reconnect with some strong visions that I had about the future and how technology and business has played out, some things that I think people are getting wrong at the macro level for, for some time now. And that just kind of all covered, you know, uncovered for me the strong, you know, belief and worldview that we've all lived through this internet age, which has been this you know, profound paradigm shifting you know, experience, right? And it's changed the way we get elected and the way we date and the way we bank and everything in between. But I personally believe we have five to 10 of those paradigm shifts in the rest of our career and lifetimes, except we're not gonna have 25 years to adapt to them. We're gonna have five to 10. So if you kind of accept that, you don't have to, but that's my worldview. I accept that as my core beliefs. Then I say, crap, there's gonna be a ton of you know, companies created, there's going to be a ton of companies crumbling. <laughs> Everything's going to be, in, be invented in a way and a speed that nobody ever saw before. 
Um, and I don't want to be on the sidelines anymore being right about the future. I want to have bets on those future and I want to have a chance to have my impact on it. So I got busy kind of looking at what it looked like to create companies in parallel and in mass. And we landed on this venture studio model, which is a combination of venture capital and incubation. And we looked at some of the things we thought were right and wrong about the world. I personally believe that startups are getting too much money right now. And I apologize to all my friends who raised a bunch of money in the last few years. Um, but I think the reality is there's a certain stage of company in that first year or three years where there's a lot to be said for maxing out your credit cards and borrowing from grandma. And when you're in that stage, you're kind of forced to build a product that people will pay for. <laughs> and people tend to pay for things that have an impact in their lives. Mm -hmm. right? And so I think, again, people who are seed stage companies getting $10, $20 million, I think they're, they're it's doing them a disservice, to be honest. Um, and it's not their fault. There's a reason for it that I can get to later. But there's a reason that Wall Street has come to Silicon Valley and has changed the metrics. So when we started this, we said, okay, we want to build companies rapidly. We want to be meaningful companies. We're not going to do anything that's bad for the world. Um, but we also want to be aggressive, that we want to be frugal. We want to build them rapidly, and we don't necessarily need to bet the farm on each one. We can get to validation with good products and good business models validated and customers telling us they like and what they don't like. Uh, we can get their way faster than the current kind of company creation ecosystem is doing. So that was the, the germination of Nobody Studios. Uh, we've been at it for a year, 14 companies uh, in development, and I think this is the first um, public environment that I've stated it, but um, we've announced our hairy audacious goal to do a hundred companies in five years. So that's incredible. And the thing that I love about your work is instilling this mindset of being people first, right? With those organizations, helping those leaders in those startups understand the importance of, and, and the value of this mindset and this shift, right? So as you've interacted with them, either the ones that you have under the Nobody Studios uh, organization or just other leaders that, or startup leaders that you've talked with and interacted with, what is you know, the biggest misconception or gap that they might have when it comes to actually being a people first leader? Um, you know, I might go back to my first answer um, that people first leader is not something you uh, manufacture and it's not something you script. Um, Unfortunately, it's something you are, you aren't, to be honest. I can train people around me to appreciate it, which will allow me to create an organization that does this. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge quoter, but you know, Gary Vee, who I know has a huge following, you know, one of the things that he said, he's like, give freely. And if you're someone who gives freely and it comes naturally to you, it's a superpower. Don't let people tell you you should be making money for it. Don't, don't try to get a retainer or contract in front of the way. Give freely because... And when I heard his words, and I know a lot of people that personally very close to me who would just shake their head and go, eh, he's wrong. I've been that way my whole life. This idea that I give and invest in people without an expectation of what it's going to look like. I just have a strong sense that it's all going to come full circle in some way. And it always has in my life. And so if it naturally comes to you to give freely, then you're lucky to be born that kind of leader and you should go all in on it and whatever you might be doing to hold back, let go of it. But the rest of the people underneath me that work around me and, and colleagues side by side, I do believe they see that. And anytime I see maybe a tendency to put a contract or put a retainer or put something else in the way of that flow, they see my response, which is immediately, no, trust me, just give. Let's just see what happens. Trust me. And I do believe that people learn from that behavior. They learn from those actions and attitudes. And 
and at least internally that's something we're trying to create that's awesome it's this uh it, it's that culture that you're building just based on who you are as an individual leader so i love that the thing that i personally struggle with is convincing organizational leaders that investment in employees has long-term benefits and there is an ROI to it, even if it's not immediate in the three months after you invest. And sometimes it's not even in the six or six months or 12 months. So how have you convinced and changed the mindset from thinking about the bottom line and profits to being more people centric? And again, like giving that investment into those around you so they can grow and boost the business up? Uh, great question. I think there's probably two answers to that. I know at least what, what, who I, what, who I am and comes, you know, naturally for me, you know, I just try to keep doing with maybe a little bit more intellectual backing or understanding of why I do what I do. But at the end of the day, I give to people and I know that that creates relationships and attracts the people to my journey that, you know, have given me a great life so far. And I'm going to, I know are fundamental to where I want to go. Um, so that's easy. Um, I think folks that are a little bit too regimented in the the metrics and the bottom line, the PL, to be honest, aren't part of my organization, so I don't have that challenge. Um, but if I am consulting with somebody or I'm mentoring somebody or I've got a friend in the network that's asking me for advice, I tend to take a, a rational view, which is if you think being people first is an option, that's your first failure. When you figured out that it's not an option, come back and talk to me. Um, and I just really fundamentally believe it's um, la-la land to believe that you have the option to attract fantastic, creative, driven, motivated people and be anything other than that, right? And I do believe it's a generational thing to a certain extent. You know, I'm right on that cusp, you know, because I grew up reading the 1980s business management manuals and Jack Welch was God. And, you know, those all people have some great things to say, but I just think they were fundamentally operating in a very different workforce and in a very different you know, business world than we were then. And so the types of people you need to attract aren't going to look like the person who could take the widget from this side of the conveyor belt and put it on this side of the conveyor belt and get paid a money amount, right? And you're not going to incentivize them to do that faster by just paying them a little bit more money. You incentivize people and get them bought into a journey because it's true and genuine and it resonates with their core values. <laughs> and they give you everything they deserve, you deserve because they believe that what they do matters and they're appreciated. And they're probably not perfect and you probably accept them in that way. And, you know, there are moments of brilliance to recognize and are given a chance to give, give a fight, right? So I just think that it's, it's, it's silly to think that there's an option unless you're in a manufacturing, you know, world that there's anything other than the future that'd be people first. However, I do believe it's going to be a 20 or 30 year journey for most people to get there. And the people who really appreciate it today are going to you know, enjoy the successes. So I'm glad to be in that group. Yeah. This, this shift is, uh, you and I were talking about this and we'll get into it in just a sec, right? It's not something that's going to change overnight. It's something that um, any, any sort of shift like this will take time. It will take generations. And we were talking about how, you know, this people first movement is essentially an evolution of things like equal, like the equal rights movements, or at least a parallel to it, right? And people in the past based on those movements, they may not have been ready for what they asked for. So as we're asking for this culture that is more human-centric and 
bringing back hum- humanization to the workforce. How are, like, what are some of the things that employees are asking for that they may not be ready for? And are, are they ready to participate in that risk? Yeah, no, that's a massive question. Um, and just loaded full of landmines, right? So I can't really answer it. <laughs> well, let's go. Th- well, let's <laughs> back, go through it. <laughs> back to transparency. Yeah, I can't tell you what I really think. No, I can't. Um, I think you said it well. I think um, anytime you embark on on a new area of change and you're really tackling the status quo, especially status quo that has, you know, granite, you know, you know, the bedrock behind it, right? Um, you know, I think we have. I think majority of people who earn a living in the world today um live in you know ignorance is bliss kind of mentality right they do their job they've agreed to a certain amount of uh, pay scale they've agreed to a certain bonus structure whatever their incentives are and it works for them they're happy and that's kind of the contract they've made with their their company and i do believe the company has to come through with that but there's probably no need to go overboard frankly on the people first world i think that that category of workers which is a majority um should always push for you know better benefits and you know fair compensation and all their things that they have for years and i think that's the right journey but i'll just answer it very specifically in the startup world in the startup world um you know and this isn't this is really being a c-level startup guy for 14 different ventures i can think of one time where my vision and dream for the people who work with me saw the upside that i'd hoped okay I had hired an executive assistant at one point, fantastically talented individual from corporate America, but she was retired at the time. And so I kind of got her to get involved with us, but she had all these talents and she grew with us, but we had so much success that, you know, I take pride in saying, you know, I hired her at 10 bucks an hour. She was a millionaire by the time we were done and she was a VP of HR all on her own merit. She earned every right of that, but we at least created a vehicle that was able to give her that, right? And I do think, you know, if I'm being honest in a circle of other C-level startup guys, I would look them all in the eyes and say, I wish, you know, why don't this, let's come clean. How many times have you looked that developer in the eye and said, we got to code all weekend, man. This, this presentation Monday is critical. But if we make it happen, you're going to own an island, right? We, we, you pitch these upsides and these stories. And the reality is, unfortunately, I know that's not true. I know that the majority of time in startups, that's not how it plays out. Sure, we know the Facebooks and the Snaps and the Ubers and stuff. But the majority of startups, that's not how it plays out. And so I think that that talent base is becoming more and more rare. The people who can write the code that we need, especially as we get into AI and some of the cutting edge technologies, the talent base has lots of places to go. And in order for them to decide where to go, they the power has shifted rightfully to them, right? Maybe not yet, but at least this is how I see it playing out. And they should pick the places where their upside is more transparent, right? Meaning how much is already given to investors, what kind of rights and preferences those investors have, how does the cap table, which is the equity ownership play out? And when I tell you you're gonna own an island, Mr. Developer, and I'm asking you to work all weekend, is that true or not? And I think if you look at most cap tables, people could do the math, these guys are smart guys, and they go, wait, if you sell this company for $200 million, I'm going to get $12,000 pound sand. You know, I'm making $50,000 or less right now because I'm not working for General Motors, right? And so again, I think if you force that 
honest conversation, as awkward as it may be to the old generation of startup executives, I think it's just all but goodness. I think the good companies will attract great talent and it's where it needs to be. That's a great, great way to describe it. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I would love to know too, just your own personal journey some more. What is a misconception that you had when you were younger about leadership that is no longer true today? Um, yeah, yeah, probably the easiest one. And it came from my first experience with the company that went public. Um, I often say the biggest gift I got from that experience was a demystified for me what it takes to go big, right? Um, you know, and the difference between the brilliant guy who's done 10 startups that didn't quite work out and the person who, you know, happened to have taken it public and be a billionaire and, you know, gets to show you his $30 million jet. I think it's really easy for most people to look at the, those, you know, at least the one that was very successful and just have this, this mystic, magical kind of aura around them, right? And I've certainly been in rooms with some of the smartest guys in the rooms, and, and those are a different breed and they're to be appreciated. But a lot of the folks that do very, very well in startups are, are I wouldn't say common, but they're just exceptional, smart people, but they were at the right place at the right time, right? Most of them will admit that. And I have been there. I wasn't always there. And so I've missed some moments, you know, and I just think that for me, the biggest mystery of leadership, but also, you know, what you can do for others is just to realize that greatness is in all of us. <laughs> and just because it didn't happen when you're 12 or 18 or 27, sometimes the journey you lived actually made you ready for this greatness. And for me, I had the big hit when I was in my you know, early 20s. And I went through 15 years of startups that were you know, great rides and I don't regret anything. They provide well for my family, but I never had that big hit again in that, that phase. But now in this journey, there's no way I could do what I'm doing today had I not had all those experiences. I look at the, all those startups and all those lessons and I'm like, wow, like I really got, you know, my PhD equivalent or whatever you want to call it in startups during that time. And now to do what I'm doing today, I, I have a right to do it. I really have the lessons under my belt. That is awesome. That's awesome. What gets you excited based on the, you know, the interactions that you have with these startups? What's getting you excited about some of the work that they're doing? I know you can't talk about them specifically, but just in general, like what, uh, where do you see the future of this work? No, yeah, I'll, I'll consider, Chris, I, I, we're very open. One of our, one of our core values is transparency. Um, I always poke fun at myself because I say early Mark would have, you know, I grew up in a career where you'd write NDAs and non-circumvents and you'd wait weeks and months before those were signed, before you had talked, right? Um, and now we're just exact polar opposite. <laughs> we, we speak openly, honestly about our ideas because we're like, this crap's hard. And so the risk we expose ourselves to doesn't bother me because our ideas are going to get better, validated, improved. We're going to track the right people to our journey. So in my mind, it's all goodness. Um, yeah, you know, see, the best part about what we're doing right now is... Uh, you can kind of academically tackle our, our business model and say, okay, Mark, if you're right or wrong, 100 companies in five years, you know, let's say it's 50, it's still a lot of companies. You need to attract a, a tremendous amount of great talent to the table, right? And one of the things that I've been inspired about most is we've been really pursuing this idea of we have great technologists, we know how to build products, we've got some amazing innovation folks, lean strategy folks, amazing team being built around nobody that I could talk about all day long. 
But as we reach out with that organization, we start talking to folks that are brilliant in their own right as individual practitioners, but have never figured out how to productize what they do, right? One of our companies is in wellness and it happens to be within substance abuse. And this week I talked to three different people who are just exceptional at what they do. And there's, you know, millions of people in that, that industry and it's a billion, trillion dollar industry. However, these two or three people just rocked my world about how they do what they do every day. But unfortunately, they're still in a trade, an hour for money business model, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can listen to what they've done. You can look at their techniques. You can look at their processes. You can look at their power, their pitch decks, PowerPoints, their processes, their lesson plans, whatever they normally go through. And our team is really good at seeing a product and that stuff, right? So what, what inspires me is I can look at someone like that and say, wow, you've, been, you've affected a thousand people who are struggling with substance abuse, and that's amazing. What if we could affect 10 million? So my, you know, always, almost always my days are celebrated by those kinds of conversations where I can see the ability to build a product around somebody and have a much broader impact. And I know I'm not experimenting, I know I'm not inventing or throwing something on the wall that hasn't been proven. I'm building around some expertise and some knowledge, but maybe combining that with technology and giving it some play. That's awesome. Well, as we round out our chat, what is the impact that you want to have on others that you lead? Um, you know, gosh, you're so good with questions. Um, I would say I really try to, um, again, I'm not a leader dictating how things should be. I hopeful. I am always hoping that my my spirit, the way I ask questions, the way I encourage people, creates a fire and creates a drive that gets a life of its own. We're called Nobody Studios for a reason. We actually know that from the very beginning, this is bigger than any one personality. And I would say the same thing about the leadership across this organization. And eventually, we'll have some amazing people who go on and do their own things in the future. And I would hope that in some small way we inspire how to ignite that culture that lets the best come out of people. There's still leadership. There's still time to make a decision. There's still some core values around leadership, but it's not top, top down. It's not dictated. It's, it's way more dynamic. And I certainly would hope that I'm, you know, we'll provide a spark for that future. I think you definitely are providing that spark. I want to leave you with one last word of praise from Douglas Miller, who said, I've known Mark since we were in competing platoons in an army reserve unit back in 1993. People gravitated towards him then just as they do now because of his combination of enthusiasm, vision, and ability to accomplish whatever he set his mind to. They stay following him because of the effort and emotional energy he puts into developing their careers and skills, a true servant leader. I have never known someone who could see and articulate an opportunity as well as Mark. And I've enjoyed every minute of my time working with him. So Mark, thank you again so much for the work that you are doing. What would you like our listeners to do next? Follow their dreams, follow their dreams. And, you know, we're doing something special. So we love to attract the right people to our journey at Nobody Studios. But regardless, if you're listening to this, go follow your dreams. There's no more time. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mark. Thanks for coming on and taking a few minutes to chat about your work and how you lead people first. It's been an honor. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Mark McNally here on the Leading People First podcast. If you liked this episode, click subscribe and share it with someone who is building their own business so they know that scaling people first leadership is absolutely possible. 
Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you loved about this episode on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Instagram. You can find us on all three of those platforms. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.